0: Well, we are back with another episode of Finding God in Culture. Uh, I'm Drew, and I am joined by Mr. Danny Wright, the one, the only, the legend, the uh, my bearded friend, who, uh, by the way, is got seeing you on Zoom right now. You've got one of the most beautiful beards ever.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, the only thing I'll agree with you on, on all of those things is that I am bearded.
0: So... <laughs> so well, I, I want to, just at the top of the show, wanted to ask you something for fun. Uh, what are you reading, man? Uh, what is, uh, what's sitting next to your bed or on your desk? Uh, what, have, what have you uh, been reading?
1: Okay, so I'm going to cheat just a little bit because um, I actually have things on my physical desk, but I also have things on my virtual desk. So um, on the physical desk, it would be the exegetical commentary on the New Testament Matthew. It would be the New International commentary on the New Testament Matthew, the Brazos Theological Commentary of Matthew, the Belief Commentary of Matthew, the uh, Craig S. Keener's The Gospel of Matthew, a socio-rhetorical commentary, and the New uh, Cambridge Biblical Commentary on Matthew. now, this is gonna sound pretty familiar when we move to the virtual desk because it's Michael Card's Matthew, the Gospel of Identity. Uh, Tom Wright's Matthew for everyone. And then uh, I'm reading the Enneagram of Spiritual Formation. I'm reading As I recall, by Casey Tigrett. Uh, I'm reading The Sacred Overlap. And I'm also reading The Sacred Year by Michael Jankowski.
0: Well, I'm glad you uh, got full circle, because early on, I was like, my eyes were glazing over over here. So <laughs> I think Zoom, Zoom kind of cut out just for a real quick second. I think it was so bored hearing about all those commentaries that it just <laughs> it started buffering.
1: Well, let me just tell you something. My eyes are going to be glazed over after a while, because I'm doing chapter six through 10
0: tomorrow
1: the morning um, with our program here in, in, in Knoxville.
0: How about That's you? Not- well, that's really good. Well, I mean, I'm interested to hear uh, you'll have to tell me later on or la- later episode what you think about the sacred overlap. Uh, that's a book on my list. I really want to read. So um, yeah, I actually sitting right, I think next to my, well, I just got done. There's one sitting right next to my bed uh, called a with me meeting God and loneliness. It is one of the most beautiful books I have read in the last couple of years. And I uh, think it is it came out this year. Can't recommend it enough. Um, I'm been reading adorning the dark by Andrew Peterson. Um, we will probably want to talk about that one later on in the podcast, because it's all yes. about, uh, art and community and beauty. And I'm, I'm sure like you, I am a huge fan of Andrew Peterson. And, uh, I'm actually, we're, we we do not really talk about politics at all. Thankfully on this podcast, we need to break <laughs> from that in our culture, but I'm reading a really interesting book called the big sort. It's all about why we uh, have kind of clustered with like-minded Americans geographically and uh, just kind of helping me. Uh, I've always said I would love to get a degree in urbanism. So it's kind of uh, a little bit of my, my attempt. So yeah, man, well, that, that kind of, uh, yeah, thought it would just be fun for people to be hearing off the top of the show what we're listening, uh, what we've been reading and what's influencing us. And uh, let's go ahead, we'll, we'll cue the intro and then we'll actually get after this thing.
1: Sounds great, man. God gives us life, breath, and everything else. In him, we live, we move, and we have our being. He keeps on speaking. He keeps on transmitting. He continues to show up and never stops revealing. We have eyes to see and ears to hear. We pay attention in print, over the air, and on every size of screen. Our mole skin is open, our pen is ready, and the mic is live. Let's find God in culture.
0: Well, again, welcome in to episode three of Finding God in Culture. Our whole goal in this podcast is really just an exploration in our lives as to where God might be moving in and around us in the everyday stuff of life. And uh, if you missed our last episode or are, um, you know, just jumping in for the first time, we kind of follow a little bit of a format in our podcast, all based out of the Apostle Paul's a sermon in Acts 17, to kind of a philosophical crowd in uh, the Areopagus. And he has a couple of different triads where he describes God. Uh, but in verse 28, one of those, the second of those he talks about for in him, we live and move and have our being. So living and moving and having our being are kind of the three segments of our podcast. And so Dana, I'll let you kick off that first one. Uh, when you think about living where you have been living, what has life looked like lately? Uh, Where have you seen God at work? Um, I know a lot has changed since our last recording as to what you're doing exactly. So maybe fill in our audience and and tell us what's going on.
1: All right, Drew. Um, Yeah, my live uh, is definitely different than it used to be. Um, I um, have moved to Knoxville, Tennessee uh, for uh, about a nine week period in which I'm working with this gap program and uh, we are training our students in discipleship and community currently at Johnson University Um, and then on October the 9th we'll leave to go to Indianapolis and then on the 12th we'll actually head out to Montana. So uh, it's going to be really cool watching these kids continue to transform and watching us continue to transform as a group and hit the road uh, and to experience God all over this country. So. So that's been very different being without my wife has definitely been different. Um, at one point I went a 26 day stretch without seeing her. And, um, I miss her tremendously. Um, but I have a wonderful wife who, who believes this is what God's called me to do. And so she's supporting me in it. So that's excellent. Um, and then I had a couple more weeks. I went to see her actually in Lexington and that's one of those cool experiences over these last few weeks because, um, we were going out for dinner to Joe Bologna's, which is an amazing, uh, you know, Italian and um, they w- it was just too busy. So we decided to go somewhere else. We wanted to try something new. We love those local joints. And so we ended up going to Bourbon and Toulouse. And um, it was in a little triangle area over in Chevy Chase. And I had, I had parked in a place that didn't give me direct access to it from the back. So as I was walking up, I thought it might be the back of Bourbon and Toulouse, but it was actually live music and a bar. And the gentleman looks at me and I said, can I get in to Bourbon and Toulouse this way? He goes, uh, no, you've got to go around. Better yet, why, why don't I just walk you through the bar? And so he walked me through this live music experience. You know, you're like, okay, I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt you guys. We go walking down. We step down into this really old bar. And then we go out the front door, you know, after saying hello to a couple of people. And we turn and we put in our order for the Cajun kitchen. And um, And so I was standing and I turned around and I went, oldest bar in Lexington. I just walked through there. I mean, I feel like, I feel like I need to go back there and, you know, at least pay attention to these people. So I go back into the bar and, and the lady asked me, if she can help me with anything. I said, well, let me see. Let me see if there's anything I want. And you know, I'm standing there Then another gentleman comes up and he just takes over. And he just looks at me. And I mean, he involves me in this conversation. He goes deep with me. Where are you from? What are you doing? I, I started answering. He goes, well, I used to live in Kokomo. I, I used to also work at Yat's, which is another great Cajun restaurant <laughs> in uh, in Indianapolis. And and so we're having a talk. I said, I used to know a guy that worked at Yat's and, you know, we are just having this great conversation. And, and it just developed into me talking to him and to the, the lady that was tending bar and, and to the gentleman who had walked me through with who was her boyfriend. And it was just this crazy time drew of, in which they just welcomed me in like they had always known me. And we're talk- talking about life and we're talking about all these kinds of things. We're talking about things of, that were of common interest to us. And I mean, I was just so excited and I just felt the presence of God in that moment. Cause I was here and it was so alive and it was so rich and so full. And so, and so, you know, um, dense with meaning and purpose. And, you know, I ended up finding out that the lady was a, um, was a teacher and we talked about school teaching during COVID and we talked about all these kinds of things. And eventually I was like, I I just want you to know how much I appreciate the fact that you guys welcomed me into this place. You have no idea who I am, but you welcomed me in and allowed me to belong. And I told her, I said, man, this is, this is exactly what the church should be. I let that sit probably for a second. And I was like, and I do believe there are a lot of churches that are like that. But there's so much more that we can learn in in learning how to love people and to welcome them into a space and helping them realize that they have meaning and that they have value and that and, and you know that that this it's sacred ground actually i mean because i believe it's all sacred ground It's back to the, you know, the burning bush. Every common bush is a fire with God. So, I mean, that was really cool. And just this great moment. There's more to that, but we could probably talk about that later. But I tell you, also-
0: Hold on on one second. I want to just, I want to just acknowledge that that's one of my favorite things about you. And I think it's a great thing for this podcast that you are so curious. Well, one, I probably would have, There's no way my personality, I probably wouldn't have just stumbled in a place and just assumed I was walking into the right one. So kudos to you for that. Uh, and so, uh, just by your courage, uh, and just like, eh, I'll figure it out. Uh, you get to stumble into some cool things, but your curious nature to go back. I think Christians often aren't curious enough. Mm. I think, man, if there's something we could coach uh, people as they're trying to find God and find holy moments, stay curious, friends, man. Like, uh, Don't miss those moments. And especially, you know, you were obviously not some place that you, you live. Imagine if we had that same mentality in the places that we already live and work and play. If we kind of, I mean, think about the doors that could open up and the things God could do. So anyways, as you were talking, I was like, man, what a great thing to like, we should all be doing those sorts of things.
1: Well, and I really appreciate you saying that because I mean, it is true. And Drew, these places that we call home, should bring just as much curiosity to us because guess what? There's a different person in that seat and there's a different person behind that counter and there's a different person over there. And you might say, well, what if they're not the different people? What if they're the same people? Well, I can promise you they're not the same as the
0: last time you met them. Oh, amen, that's awesome. Uh, Well, yeah, I think that's awesome. Uh, For me, uh, my living is the opposite, is very much a lot of the same. you know i'm a dad and a husband and that that is a, a big focus for me i also haven't talked a lot about this on the podcast but i um kind of help oversee a decentralized church plant in my uh in the boston area and we're very like a missional expression of the church where we we start micro churches and so a lot of my day to day is being a practitioner and a coach and an equipper of allowing people to be the church where god already has them A lot of parallel themes to what this podcast is about. Um, So very cool. But also with that, um, I would say my living a lot recently has been um, with folks on the street. We only own one car. Um, We kind of live right in the thick of our neighborhood. So I'm able to walk everywhere and serve folks. So, you know, like just a few weeks ago, uh, our micro church uh, packed goodies for homeless folks. We have a number of them, uh, a lot of and a lot of nonprofit and social service agencies in our neighborhood. So uh, we were supporting one of them and packing goodie bags for uh, homeless folks who right now aren't getting fed quite as well, and uh, just some cool things like they're getting the bare bones, and some some cool things that they could eat to get through the weekend. Um, you know, I was just on a call the other night with I'm a part of a coalition that's kind of petitioning our local mayor to. Do a better job with providing some porta potties and some more indoor shelter space during the day as winter approaches we 're in new England and so winter can be pretty nasty here and what are the where do these you know all the local businesses aren 't right now super friendly to letting um, thanks to covid a lot of unhoused people show up and just start using their their facilities and uh, just beautiful I was on a zoom call and we actually got a couple of the the homeless folks on that call. And just to hear them, man, they, people need to talk to people on the street more often because they are amazing people. They have wonderful stories. There's a lot of complicated reasons why they're there. Um, And we make a lot of assumptions when we drive by. Uh, And so I would say, man, one of my favorite things uh, about what I get to do, I'm, you know, I I was actually just serving Salvation Army yesterday, picking up food for them. I, a lot of what I get to do, I love getting to walk everywhere. I love getting to interact with them. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, that I think is actually a microcosm of everything I believe in. A lot of my living, I, I walk, uh, because we only have one car. I, I believe in feeling the ecology of your neighborhood, man. I, I know the rhythms of what are going on day to day. I started to get a sense for the slightest change, uh, in the mood and the feel of what's happening because I I see it every single day. I'm walking by, uh, buildings and people and things. And so, man, you just, you can't really get a feel for your neighborhood in your car, maybe a little bit by biking, but man, when you uh, put your feet to that pavement over and over and over again, man, the, you know, again, I use the phrase ecology of your neighborhood starts to really, really jump out.
1: Well, and i tell you what, man, uh, I love hearing what you just said for a number of reasons, but one of them specifically is because it triggers uh, the reminder that we need to talk about will self, and the idea of psychogeography sometime in the future. Because when I encountered it by accident at Cincinnati Christian University uh, a couple of years ago, I mean, I just, I mean, it it just continues to confound me. It continues to inspire me. It continues to uh, help me think about things. So we'll talk about uh, will self and psychogeography sometime.
0: (laughs) That's yeah, what a term. So yeah, I'm interested. I've never heard, I've not heard that. So that's me stumbling into an idea, you know, once again, uh, Ecclesi- Ecclesiastes one, there's nothing new under the sun. So I think I've stumbled on something and uh, there's probably tons of great academic writing about it. So yeah, I would love, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to look at that in a in a, a more uh, future episode. Well, let's, let's transition, you know, some really cool things there. I hope people grab onto, but the move portion, um, you know, again, uh, our kind of our structure. So when you start thinking, Danny, what's moved you recently, man, what has been something that has grabbed, pulled those heartstrings uh, and made you uh, cause to pay attention to?
1: Well, uh, I tell you, so I'm teaching Finding God in Culture, actually, uh, as a part of this program. And so just some cool things have been happening because we were, we introduced them to the Moth podcast and to storytelling. And there are so many great story tell- stories out there on the Moth and other programs like that. And then we were trying to teach them about storytelling itself and how to tell a good story and You know, I I get on Relevant Magazine all the time. I get on Relevant Magazine the other day. I see that Justin Bieber puts out a new song. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, I'm interested. They're saying the new era of Justin Bieber's beginning. And then it made me, I mean, it made me very excited that he was collaborating with Chance the Rapper. And I absolutely love Chance. I love the city of Chicago, everything about it. And I'm going to watch it. And so, uh, you know, they put together an amazing video. And I know you've watched it and I hope the people listening have watched too, because, because what a brilliant, brilliant piece of finding God in culture we have been given.
0: Well, I would actually say, why don't, why don't we stop and expand there? I loved the song as well. I gravitated to it for the same reasons you did. I ended up jumping in to see, I never watch music videos anymore, but I somehow, I don't even remember. I think some, I might've seen it posted and was struck. Cause I, you know, even in the song, I mean, I'm, you know, sometimes you're like, yeah, I mean, are those themes spiritual spirituals? I want to make them to be, you know, kind of like when you're reading poetry, sometimes you want to, you know, you're deriving a little bit of your own meaning. That's somewhat of art, but the music video leaves uh, no doubt the direction they're headed, but still you picked up on something that even I, as I was watching it, did not notice. Uh, Like, I shouldn't say appreciate quite the depth that you you saw that music. So why don't you explain give just a real quick version of this because again I think this is a great way of if if we're trying to find God in culture I think the way you interpreted that music video is a really cool way for people to start to like reset their gaze.
1: Okay well I'm going to tell you one thing that really helps too uh, Drew is that I printed out the lyrics (laughs) because I mean I caught a lot of the lyrics and I'm watching the video and the video has definitely given us multiple pictures on multiple levels, uh, that we're not just talking about a song between uh, a guy and a girl that are having a hard time. We're talking about, you know, a, a relationship that that is goes far beyond those bounds and a relationship that even opens us up into this understanding of, of, of spiritual life and of being alive in Christ. Um, I don't, I don't know that this is what happened, but I, I mean, I just kind of like to think of the idea that maybe Justin told Chance he needed him to write some lyrics, and then all of a sudden he writes some lyrics, and they come out to these lyrics. I mean, let me just hit to a couple of these lyrics. He says, um, he says the first step pleases the father might be the hardest to take. And as soon as he starts, I'm going, okay, you're not talking about a relationship between a guy and a girl. You're not talking about this kind of stuff. I, you know, you already get this. Um, he says, but when you come out of the water, I'm a believer. Okay, so now we're being already introduced to this idea of baptism. And he continues by saying, my heart is fleshy. Life is short with a temper like Joe Pesci. And I'm just going, one of my students looked at me as we were talking about this song, and he goes, I don't get that my heart is fleshy. I'm going, uh, yes. He took our heart of stone, and he takes it, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. I mean, this is definite scriptural imagery, and I love the fact that he goes, you know, they always come and sing your praises. Uh, your name is catchy, uh, and then they says, but they don't see you how I see you. I mean, so much of the time, I mean, I'm thinking of this beauty of Jesus saying to the Pharisees, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He goes on down and he ends up saying, I wanna I wanna honor you, bridegroom. I mean, who's the bridegroom? Where in the world <laughs> does the bridegroom come from? I mean, you know, he just slings this in here. Well, I'm sure he's probably talking about Jesus. And and he says, you know, I'm my father's child. He moves on a little bit further. He says If you make it to the water, he'll part the clouds. And you're like going, Oh my goodness, this is the skeezo that happens when Jesus enters the water and comes up out of the water, the heavens are torn open. And the spirit descends on him like a dove. And I'm just like, all of this spiritual imagery is just, he says, and I know I ain't leaving you. Like, I know he ain't leaving us. I know we believe in God and I know God believes in us. And it's just this moment in which you're just like transported to this. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, these words that are so rich with, with, uh, scriptural imagery. And, and I just, I, I love the fact that Chance is really sifting through this in his life and he's been sifting through it for quite a while. And what's great is you've got Beaver who's chasing Jesus. You've got Chance who's chasing Jesus. They've come together and they make no bones about it. Uh, they're going to go ahead and chase Jesus together. And if it's yeah. okay, we'll let you think it's about a guy and a girl, uh, until you watch the video. If you have eyes.
0: Well, and that's what, yeah, I want you to expand on that. I mean, I think you did a great job breaking down the lyrics. You're obviously, even actually when you start the music video, you think it is about a girl. Uh, You know, Bieber's, you know, working this like blue collar job, you know, his, you know, girlfriend, wife, you know, know, there's not really clear, but is working at like a nursing home. They're struggling to get by, obviously, like sleeping in like a motel almost or some really Mm -hmm. seedy apartment complex, uh, struggling the whole time and you're like, okay, what's the spiritual theme here? And uh, Bieber loses his job in the music video. Uh, they get kicked out of where they're at. They're walking uh, down the road when something happens. And so why don't you describe that scene for folks, uh, what, what that personified to you?
1: Okay, well, over and over again, um, Bieber has sung, the way you hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me, is so holy, 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 right? And so they're walking under a bridge, under an overpass, and um, a Hispanic gentleman drives up in his military uniform, in his truck, and he rolls down the window and he looks at them and he says, "Um, You guys know where you're going? And they're like, No, we really don't know where we're going. And then he says the line. That is the line of invitation to me. I do this thing called invitation to intimacy and finding God in culture. This is the invitation to intimacy because he looks at them and he says, I'm headed in the direction of a warm meal. If you'd like to join me. And so they get into the truck with him and they ride to this gentleman's house. At this point, all we know is he's a military guy. He served, you know, we're thinking these kinds of things, but when he walks into his apartment, one of the things Beavers has said over and over again in this song is, I, I'm running to the altar like a track star. And all of a sudden, his children just dart for him at the door. And this man picks up these children, both of them, one in one arm and one in the other. And he turns to kiss one of them and tears are being moved and affected in his face. And you're just like, you got to be kidding me. And then his wife joins him at the door with the true embrace, in my opinion, that is, that is the way you hold me, hold me, hold me is holy, holy, holy. Because I'm telling you, this guy, in my opinion, represents God in, in this whole situation. And he's calling all of his children together. And the next thing we see, Drew, they're around the table. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. They take hands and they hold hands at the table and they pray over dinner. And and man, around this table, we just watch God bring the joy and the hope and the peace that that only that type of community can bring. And that type of community happens in the communion that happens at the table.
0: That that's amazing. Yeah, you uh, you, you expanding that, viewing Him as God, uh, and not just like you know, all oh, this is a cool Christian moment, or here's somebody you know serving serving the least of these. Or here's God working through a Christian, which is a way you could interpret it as well. But you viewing that as this is God, goodness. Like when you said that, it was like, duh, how did I miss that? You know, I thought it was such a brilliant insight uh, and a beautiful thing. And again, though, I think the lyrics are so good. Man, music in general, I just, I resonated with it because I was the same way. Music moves me. And I would say that's one of the ways I feel like God speaks to me so often. They're obviously a little bit more overtly Uh, spiritual than somebody like uh, Bieber and Chance have been traditionally. But I had the same moment. I was uh, just stumbling through the new Need to Breathe album, um, listening recently. uh, And their very first song is called Mercy Shore. But there was a line I was actually just driving, running some errands. And, you know, sometimes, you know, again, unless you print out the lyrics, they don't always catch you. But it was one of those perfect moments. I'm sitting on a stoplight and I hear verse two. Uh, of this and this perfect metaphor uh, that that Bear Reinhardt's singing out in that uh, you know for them, what he basically says this: uh, We're a child in the car asleep in the driveway at night. Our mother's going to slowly sneak our body inside. We can rest in the arms of trust. There's no way that we can say we've earned our way into the light. All we have to do is stay. And I just. I heard that and I was like, I get, I mean, what a powerful imagery of God. Uh, obviously some people would get all, you know, when we, when, when they have to think of God possibly being a woman in this metaphor, they'd get upset, but what a beautiful image. Cause we, I, I literally could imagine myself, my mom or dad picking me up out of a car when I was four or five years old, when I was asleep, we got home late and I'm half asleep. Or sometimes I pretend I'm kind of asleep. And they would take me you know i didn't have to do anything they unbuckled me they took me into the house laid me down let me sleep what incredible image of god and grace we don't have to do anything you know he's the one who picks us up like a mother picking a child up asleep at night in the car takes him all we have to do is just stay all we have to do is just rest in those arms same sort of imagery like you were saying that just grabs you from that song where i was just like oh what that's what art is for, man. What it, I, I literally, as I was listening to those lyrics, could see myself again as a child. And I think that's why, man, we need great artists because they, they draw something from within us that we didn't even know was there.
1: Absolutely, man. And that is a beautiful image. And And that stay, I just can't help but get out of John 15 every time I think about it. You know, to just abide, to just remain, to just stay. Yep. And to let God do what do what he does and that's wonderful i mean i we probably don't have time to go into another one but i'll just the revivalists i was driving out of johnson's property the other day and all of a sudden siri picked the music because i usually let siri pick my music and um and so it was one of these things that i heard listen to this i'll always be the stone not the one who throws it i'll always be the road that's the path i've chosen Know you're not alone when your heart is broken. Say, I just want to know. Yeah, I just want to know. Can we for once just live with no guns? And I tell, tell no lies. We're not born just to die. People say, people say, what goes around comes around, but I won't. No, I won't. Shoot you down. I'll be the bridge and the one who burns it. I'll be, I'll always be the kid with open arms deserving of all the love you give in a world that's hurting. Say, we just want to live. Yeah, we just want to live. And then he just keeps going back over and over again. So can we for once live with no guns? And I tell, tell no lie. We're not born just to die. People say, people say, it goes around comes around, but I won't, no, I won't shoot you down.
0: Man. Yeah, it's like literally he's just crying out the Imago Day and saying like, yeah. man, there's something sacred in every single one of them. I mean, what a powerful seeing God. It's like almost, I'm acknowledging God and acknowledging God in every single person I look at. What a powerful lyric.
1: Yeah, it was just unbelievable. And I mean, it just happened to be there. I mean, that's been on my, you know, it's been on my iPhone for probably months and I've never even heard the song. It rolls up and I'm like, oh my goodness, I won't shoot you down. I just, I love it. And we've got to be those people who make that commitment. Look, I'm here. I'm here to love myself, but I'm here to love my neighbor as I love myself. And you know what? I need to stop shooting myself down and other people down metaphorically. and surely. Literally, and our country really, really needs that message from the revivalists right now.
0: Yeah, man, powerful. Thank you. I'm glad we worked that in. You sh- I'm glad you didn't uh, uh, shortchange us on that. That was that was worth the price of admission right there. So,
1: uh, and there's more to it, so they can go out
0: and find it and listen to it and appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I think we've just loaded people's uh, Spotify's or iTunes accounts right now. So, <laughs> well, hey, we're going to take a break. You're actually going to be giving a one of your famous one minute reviews. And when we get back, we've already talked about Bieber. We've already talked about Chance. Uh, We're now gonna be talking about Fred Rogers. Uh, So quite the eclectic podcast here. So uh, stick with us and after that one minute review, we'll get there.
1: One minute to review it? Are you serious, Drew? The light turned green and the man in the gray Ford pickup didn't move. Rachel's day had already gone awry. She had been fired by her best hair client, had made all the incorrect morning rush hour turns and ended up blowing the horn at the wrong driver. At the next light, that driver vowed to make sure that she would discover what a bad day really looked like. As that atrocious, fateful day unfolded, he relentlessly pursued her, hitting pedestrians, causing all kinds of traffic havoc, and even killing people along the way. At one point, the man gives her the choice of who will be next on this torturous road rage ride through the city as he scrolls through her contacts. She eventually names Deborah and Tom Cooper out of the blue asks her, what what sin did she commit that would make you choose her? An intense chase scene movie with action at almost every turn and enough drama to keep you on the edge of your seat went straight for the spiritual jugular. I did not see that one coming. Neither did the policeman on the interstate. You too might end up unhinged.
0: Well, Danny, thank you for that that review. Uh, We, I think, established last episode... Danny stars are different than other stars. So Unhinged, how many Danny stars?
1: Oh, you know, it's probably still gonna be about four out of five maybe, but yeah, you're gonna get 6.1 out of 10 on IMDb. So (laughs) it's not not IMDb's IMDb's favorite movie, but I'm telling you that moment when Tom Cooper asked that question just transformed everything for me and made me really begin to realize, um, you know, how much of a less than person I am Because I, too, have my fits of road rage. I, too, say things that I wish I wouldn't say. I, too, uh, you know, am able to get lost in some of those things. Jesus says, if you think these things, uh, I was pretty convicted.
0: Well, thank you, man. (laughs) Well, uh, I'm going to transition us. We are in this last segment about being, we always try to do something a little bit of a bigger conversation, often a little bit more philosophical, but um, talking about something a little bit more grand. And this time, we decided to actually talk about Fred Rogers, <laughs> and uh, which uh, honestly, you know, we could, that's a whole nother conversation. That was my favorite. I was kind of at the back end of his run as a kid, but um, you know, his show uh, alongside Reading Rainbow were my two favorite shows as a kid, which. Really were just a preview, a foreshadowing of what was to come with Drew Thurman. So, <laughs> I uh, I have always been a big Fred Rogers fan. I actually, my daughter loves um, Daniel Tiger's neighborhood now, and so it has been just amazing for me to kind of re-see Fred through her eyes. And she actually dressed up as Daniel Tiger last Halloween, and I got to dress like a bald Fred Rogers, which is really cool uh, with my shaved head. But Uh, we wanted to have a conversation about him. There has been the last like two years, a slew of art that has hit um, and kind of become mainstream. There's kind of been this reawakening in the American imagination with Fred, even though he's been dead almost 20 years now. And so um, I really, uh, you know, wanted us, I, I think we wanted to talk about that. So why don't you maybe talk? We've been having a lot of conversations in our phone calls, about him and about the art surrounding him why don't you maybe describe that and then why we felt the need to bring this into an episode of the podcast yeah
1: i think um you know it's it's just amazing the life that he lived and i i i'm you know i i remember my grandfather uh, bought us a color television and you know part of that so that we could watch public broadcasting And so, I mean, there were those moments in which uh, I was introduced to Fred at a young age, but I'll be honest, I had pretty much uh, missed the majority of that, you know? Um, and, And recently I had somebody just say, you really need to listen to this Finding Fred podcast. And I was already being brought back into this idea of Fred, of course, because a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And I knew Won't You Be My Neighbor had come out. And I was like, I'd never seen Won't You Be My Neighbor, but I actually went to see uh, a beautiful day in the neighborhood, like at eleven o'clock in in a suburb of Chicago, right outside of River Forest, with my daughter who's in college. And you know, when the movie got finished, and we were like, I said, "Well, what do you think?" She goes, "Well, it was it was good." And I was like, "Yeah, it wasn't quite what I expected either," you know, because there was just this moment, and I didn't I didn't fully appreciate it for the gift that it was because I didn't fully understand Fred like I should have and could have. And so when somebody said, fine you know, watch you know, listen to Finding Fred Carvel Wallace's podcast," uh, it just absolutely floored me, and <laughs> and it was just so amazing. And you and I started talking about you know Carvel and how Carvel was you know unpacking this whole Fred Rogers influence on culture, and and then you know you get into his lifetime Emmy award winning, uh, you know when he won his lifetime achievement award and the speech that he gave right there with Tim Robbins on the stage, and you're just like, okay. I don't think anybody understands the power and the and the and the presence of this man. Then you listen to that podcast. You're listening. You know, you can check Maxwell King's you know biography of him. You can start checking all of these journalists. I mean, it's so crazy. Um, he would meet a journalist who's supposed to interview him for for an for an interview, and then he would be lifelong friends with them, and constantly continue to go back and forth with them um, every day he would spend so much time with everybody who came to him in what people would call Fred time. He would just spend that Fred time with them, even though they were 75 minutes behind schedule for the, you know, for this shoot. And somehow he still has the ability to answer 50 to a hundred cards and letters from kids every day. Oh my goodness. This guy's amazing. And so you and I were like, there's this, there's this rebirth of, of, interest in him and I think it's because of the need that we have in our culture for people who won't shoot other people down for people who will see other people and recognize them recognize in them the Imago Day. and yeah there's a lot we got to talk about in the next few minutes but there's a little bit of an interesting uh, of an interest yep. in why we wanted to because we believe he is a, a case study in finding God
0: in culture I I, th- I could not agree more one well, I think it's a little bit of a there's like a little of an inception to the idea, uh, you know, an idea within the idea, you know, I think there's a lot of finding God in culture, just in the art that is pursuing Fred. And then there's finding God in the actual person and work of Fred itself. Yeah. And so I think there's multiple layers there of complexity, but I think, yeah, a hundred percent agree. You named all of, I think the key ones. I mean, there's a lot more we could name, but yeah, obviously, um, a beautiful day in the neighborhood has, has hit you know so many people you know anytime Tom Hanks is doing anything I think people gravitate towards it but you know um, won't you be my Tom neighbor Hanks. what his sixth cousin by the way really yeah you yeah. learn something every day about that uh, you know uh, won't you be my neighbor is a documentary which I think uh, very much parallels the podcast Finding Fred even though the big difference would be uh, you're, you're not you know, I think Carvel Wallace plays a huge role in being the narrator and you're almost seeing Fred through his, his viewpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, in the documentary, you're, you know, you're not as much getting that you're getting more of just a a more just baseline, uh, view of Fred. And I would say, again, the Maxwell King biography is good of the, of that. I would say personally, that's my least favorite. And I would actually rank, I, I, I wasn't sure I would have said this, You were the one that said, you've got to listen to this finding Fred and podcast. I was like, I, you know, I've engaged all this other art with Fred. Surely it's not going to be that great. I would say I walked away with that being my favorite kind of snapshot Mm -hmm. of Mr. Rogers of any of, of them. What about you? You know, there's this slew of art, which one would you say has impacted you the most and which one would you recommend to our listeners?
1: Man, I tell you, uh, I'm going to probably cheat and say whichever one I've been with the the most recent.
0: (laughs) That Uh, is cheating.
1: Well, the reason I say that is because I watched A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with our students in the program. And it was just the conversation that we had last night was out of this world. Um, And I watched Won't You Be My Neighbor again on Monday night and there's just things, each one of them has these little snippets that the other one doesn't have. Although most of them, I mean, there's a lot of collective material there. They're like synoptic gospels (laughs) because they (laughs) tell a lot of the same stories. No, but every once in a while, John shows up and there's all of this other information that they want to show. (laughs) I appreciate the Johannine moments of each of them. And, and it's just, it's just kind of funny that, um, You know, and I started re-listening to the podcast this morning. I listened to the first three episodes of the podcast again this morning, and I mean, I'm just blown away every time that I come to this material. You know, uh, I think I mentioned this on one of our podcasts, but my wife and I went to Pittsburgh recently, and so we were in Pittsburgh, and I was like, I'm going to the Heinz History Center. I want to see the set from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I... I Got to see his sweater vestment that he would wear when he preached that his mother made for him. And I, it was just so cool. Um, but what was really cool was being able to go down to Mei Mei's Mandarin Gourmet Chinese restaurant where they actually filmed the one minute scene uh, where he tells Lloyd Vogel, will you just take a minute to think about those who have loved you into being. And my wife and I sat there, we took the minute, we took every photo angle that I could remember from the movie. I mean, I tried to relive that moment. The guy who waited on us, waited on Tom Hanks and, you know, and, and, and it was just oh, spectacular.
0: That's, yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, they all are in their own way, great and beautiful. Um, yeah, again, I would say the podcast resonated with me the most, um, probably even for the reason we're doing this podcast. Uh, I think he does a really good job talking about why are people gravitating to fred and i as i listen to carvel wallace even though as the podcast kind of wraps up he's not all the way there he's not like like oh i'm a big jesus guy and you know in fact sometimes he wants to strip fred of you know his christianity and some of the influence there but as i listen to carvel wallace exploring the themes i i hear and i sense someone who is so hungry to connect to something transcendent and to uh, get to the source of what Fred was really about
1: well uh, and, you know and Carvel did such a great job of pulling in other people mm-hmm. with very very you know very different ideas and somewhat disparate ideas at at moments and allowing us to see through their eyes and to hear through their through their absolutely as well. yeah it, it was a beautiful thing it was a beautiful yeah. thing and I'm yeah, sorry. I,
0: no, you're fine. My wife kept laughing at me as I was listening to it because she'd like walk in a room and I'd have my earbuds in and I'd have like tears streaming down my face. And she was like, What is wrong with you? And I was like, You gotta listen to this podcast. And sure enough, like uh, a couple of weeks later, she started listening to it. And I I, I she tur- she turns the corner. I see her and I look up and she's got tears streaming through her eyes with her earbuds in and she's saying, I'm listening to it. So it's, it's really good. Well, actually I kind of touched on it, but, and you know, that, that podcast does as well, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Why do you think people are gravitating to Fred? I think we've kind of hinted at it. Why do you think there is this, uh, you know, resurgence of interest in someone who did a children's TV show and who's been gone for quite a while. Why do you think people are suddenly, you know, like, oh my goodness, I have to to check out who Fred Rogers was?
1: I'm going to say something that might get me in some trouble. Um, <laughs> in the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, um, one of Fred's <laughs> sons says, talks about how difficult it would have been uh, when your father is like the second coming of Christ. And, you know, it's just awkward every time I mention that to, you know, to people who are spiritual people, they're like, they're so uncomfortable with that idea. But I'll be honest with you, I think that's probably why there's such a resurgence in this, in this, um, you know, this man, in this interest, resurgence in the interest of this man's life, because he lived Jesus, he lived the gospel and and he you know i was talking to somebody earlier today who's a professor of uh, new testament here at johnson university and they said the man is she she said he is such a minister of the gospel and i was like yeah gospel is the way you describe him he is he is bringing good news to people good news about this grace good news of empathy i mean fred believed that uh, the space between the studio, the camera, and the floor—you know—and the television set and the child—he believed all of that was sacred ground. And um, I mean, he was ordained by the Presbyterian Church in order to use media as as a pulpit to make a difference in this world. And I'm telling you, I, I think I think it's attractive to us because Jesus. And the way he lived and the way he loved and the way he shared and cared and gave was attractive. And I'm telling you, um, in this world that is so broken, so divided, so full of hate, so full of doubt and question, here was a man who just loved.
0: Man. I, I, I agree a hundred percent. You know, I think that's been what I've grabbed. You know, my perception is that I was even listening to the finding Fred and, uh, Podcast. I think he, I keep wanting to say Finding God in Culture. That's our podcast, (laughs) Finding Fred podcast. Uh, Yeah, I think, you know, I agree. Mark Sayers, who's become really, you know, popular in kind of Christian circles, talks a lot about we desire the kingdom without the king. Mm. And uh, I, I do think that is a great sense of our culture. I think often when Christians talk about culture, we actually act like we have, it's all this evil people who don't actually desire hunger for God. I love that imagery that we, we long for, even if we don't want the King, even if we're not sure about this, this Jesus guy. And if we really want to give our lives and make him Lord, there's a hunger for us for the kingdom. And um, I think that's, that's, I think that's what's drawing in. I really, I love, um, it's a big long po- uh, book and I, I don't know if, I've referenced this in, in previous episodes, but Tom Holland has a book called Dominion. He is a kind of an ancient historian, loved Greco-Roman culture. Has been a well, you know, been very clear that he's an atheist uh, most of his life. But one of the things, the whole the whole thesis of the book is that he, as much as he loved studying Greco-Roman history, he could not stand their morals and ethics. He said these are just detestable people. And he began to explore, like, why do I actually think that way? And began to say, uh, I'm actually a Christian in my morals and ethics, even though I wouldn't say I'm a Christian. Uh, and so really, the book is uh, all about the fact that how Christianity has shaped the the Western imagination and how we really can't escape Christianity or, or really the, this desire for the kingdom. He's not saying that totally. That's a little bit my interpretation. spin. has been... Uh, Funny, he's actually come back to uh, church and he's actually attending church again in England where he lives. And uh, so it's just kind of interesting. He's kind of finding his way back to God. But I think that premise is true when it comes to Fred, kind of coming full circle there, is I think we have this deep desire, even if we're not sure about church, even if we're not sure about faith, even if we're not sure about actually this conversion moment of giving my life over to God, what Jesus stood for and what the kingdom is. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, man, I live in a city in Boston. That's incredibly secular. People still hunger that so, so much. And when they see Fred, they see it embodied. And so they, they gravitate, even if they don't even know why they're gravitating towards it. And I think right now in the season where there's so much hate There's so much division, so much tribalism that's broken out. Here's this man who embodied empathy, who embodied presence, who embodied love, who embodied the kingdom. And so people, I think, are like saying, I like if ever there was a time for us, this guy who was teaching us as kids these themes, how do we actually like live into them now as adults? And I think, again, that's what Carvel Wallace is exploring a lot. But all of it really is this magnetic pull to the kingdom. And uh, so again, that would be my interpretation. I don't know what your thoughts are, but that's kind of what I think uh, subconsciously has probably even happened to a lot of people. And uh, God is speaking uh, even now through the through the life of a dead man because of his art and because of what he stood for when he was living.
1: Well, and, and Drew, we all long to belong. and And you know what? You didn't have to do anything to belong in Mr. Rogers' world. Because Amen. you know what, in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood... Again, that's the kingdom, man. You're describing the kingdom. Yeah, it is. And and it's right back to that bar in Lexington the other night. Because in that place, I was I belonged. Even though they had never known me before 12 minutes before that, when I accidentally walked through their bar. And so that's what we want to... That's what the world is longing for. And when we find that connection... And we need to make sure that we foster that connection even more.
0: Yeah. Well, I actually, as you were describing, I was trying to, I can't remember his name. I was trying to Google it. As you were talking the who's the policeman on Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Oh, That would be uh, Francois Clements. Yeah. Francois. I could not think of his name. What is it? Episode two, episode three, where his that whole interview takes place on the podcast. That's, that's what yeah. he was describing. He's talking about Fred loving him. Like no one had ever loved him before. And he describes that I think that would probably be the 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 scene that in the whole podcast that I just devastated me, but he had this moment where you know Fred was saying, "I like you, I like you the way you are," and he said he felt like Fred wasn't looking at the camera as he was looking at him, and he felt the need to go and talk to him and say, "Were you talking to me?" and Fred said, "I've been talking to you for two years. I've been saying that to you, and he starts crying in the interview and saying. He describes it as a divine explosion, I think, is the actual phrase he uses.
1: It is exactly the phrase. I heard it this morning. He says a divine explosion. And then he says, in that moment, I saw divinity.
0: Oh, gosh. I'm getting goosebumps just listening. I know. <laughs> oh, and I mean, is
1: this not what we're dreaming of people feeling when they experience us? There's an amazing story told on the Moth Podcast um, by um, Daryl McDaniels from Run DM see um, he was wanting to give up on his life he was wanting to end his life uh, but he had chosen not to do that and he got back you know they were making 48 fifty thousand a night on tour in germany they come back he gets in the limousine in the back and the limo driver says would you like to listen to some music he says sure he goes what kind he goes whatever you know and so he plays this he just turns on this radio station and sarah mclaughlin was singing angel I don't know if you know this or not, but for like two or three years, Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC did nothing but listen to Sarah (laughs) McLaughlin.
0: All all I think is, all I can see is that awful pet commercial. I know.
1: (laughs) I know. It's this, it's that song, you know? And what's crazy is he, he, uh, his manager or somebody gets him a ticket to go to uh, Clive Davis's Grammy party. And he shows up at Clive Davis's Grammy party with complete reticence. He has no desire to go. And he's sitting there and he's counting the time until he can leave. And then he goes, and in walked that woman. <gasps> it was Sarah McLaughlin, And he walks over to Sarah McLaughlin in full, you know, full run DMC gear. Adidas from head to toe, probably got the Casells on. I mean, the whole deal. He's got his hat on. He walks over to her and she says, to rock a rhyme, to rock a rhyme, it's right on time, it's tricky. And he goes, my Adidas. And he goes, Sarah McLaughlin knows my music. And then all of a sudden, he looks at her and he says, Sarah McLaughlin, you're God to me. Hmm. It's that same moment that Francois Hmm. Clemens had with Mr. Rogers because God used, and I mean, Daryl might not say that, and we would say, probably would not say that, but God (laughs) used Sarah McLaughlin. change her and and it's that moment again like i was saying with you you know when your dad's the second christ it's that awkward moment but who else would we want to be identified with is that not the goal
0: yep absolutely
1: that we are supposed to become like christ we are to be jesus for people and so anyway yeah when he says in that moment i saw divinity after saying the divine explosion i was like we could just stop right here
0: oh gosh i I, seriously paul i i i Ugly cried. I'm not even ashamed to admit it. I ugly cried, you know, uh, and just it, and just the way he even says it, you, you, you don't doubt for a moment that he feel, I mean, you literally hear him say it and it's like, he's, he's still haunted by that moment decades later. And yeah. uh, And that actually is a perfect segue to what I was going to say. I mean, we're, we're, I think talking about why people are gravitating to Fred again. Um, and so again kind of this layers of complexity you know we can find god in the in the art that's kind of ref- you know looking back on fred's life and we're talking a lot about that but we also can find god uh, in culture and looking through how fred actually shows us how to find god in culture and we think that he's this embodiment of somebody a lot of the themes that we've been talking about of living what paul's describing in Acts 17 of uh, having a a Almost a sacramental worldview. Fred seemed to embody that in such a simplistic, simple way. And so I would be interested to say, see, like, as you engage that art and as you think about Fred's life, what are some themes that maybe uh, he modeled that we should be trying to imitate in our pursuit of finding God in and around us all the time?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, in the film, um, there's a beautiful moment, okay? Drew, I believe you and I are saints. I believe anybody who has been baptized into Christ is a saint. But there's a wonderful moment in which Lloyd Vogel um, is talking to Joanne, uh, Fred's wife, and he says, you know, she, she talks about the fact, uh, I don't want you to call him a saint, because when you call him a saint, it sounds like he was able to do something that everybody else can't do, is basically wow. what she was saying.
0: Yeah, such And a she's saying,
1: look, all of us are called to the fire. and and so... You know, she said, Fred is not a perfect man, but he does things every day to make sure. So he had this structure. He had this spiritual formation in his life. Fred, I mean, Fred, do you know how much Fred weighed?
0: Yeah, what is it? One, what is the one, four, three, 143 pounds?
1: 143 pounds. And he yeah. would check stuff every morning to see if he weighed 143 pounds. One, one letter I, four letters L-O-V-E, three letters Y-O-U. Yeah. And it's funny that, I mean, I think that was part of his spiritual formation, being able to understand that. But anyway, he read the scriptures every day. He prayed every day. I mean, one of the most powerful moments for many people in the film, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, is when he prays for the entire world. You know, he prays for the Vogel family by name. the name is the sweetest sound that our ears can ever hear. And we need to know people's names without names. uh, There's this wonderful uh, video called uh, live Godspeed without names. There is no relationship. And I believe it's Eugene Peterson that says that, Mm. you know, Eugene Peterson says that all of his life, people would say to him, how's your soul and never use his name. Mm. And yet, you know, so Fred remembered names like when he calls Lloyd and they're all still sleeping in the morning and Karen answers the phone and, and uh, Karen, this is Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers knows my that's name, name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and then there's that moment where she says, you're not the only person that talks to Mr. Rogers. Why? Because I guarantee you, he called Karen just like he would call Lloyd because that's who Fred was. So, um, I, I think I th- one of the biggest things I think about Jesus is that Jesus was a noticer. Okay. Uh, Matthew nine says he saw all the crowds as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them Uh, Fred was very much that kind of guy Um, so he would see people and he would and he would notice them and um I just over and over again he's noticing people he sees people for who they are he's never in a hurry he understands the power of presence he he understands Yo Yo Ma, <laughs> Yo Yo Ma in, in the and won't you be my neighbor? Says he was literally three inches from my face. He scared the ever living daylights out of me. This man, he was he was so and uh, so <laughs> you know you know centered in and focused on people. You know that was the thing I noticed the first time I watched a beautiful Na- day in the neighborhood is dude was awkward. And he wasn't afraid to be awkward because he realized that if we don't get to a place of awkward, we're never going to get to a place of real and to a place of genuine and to a place of authenticity. And I mean, Fred's whole life was lived to be authenticity. Isn't that another beautiful thing that you see in the, in the correlation and, and in, you know in the ability of these different pieces of art to move together? Everybody wanted to know, was Fred really like that all the time? And everybody to a T says uh, Fred was always like that.
0: Yep. yeah. I I'm loving what you're saying. Well, I I wasn't even going to mention this. You just it, you just sparked it as you were talking. But uh, I remember, you know, I'm going to mention him by name when I when I went to Cincinnati Christian, my undergrad. I remember when I met uh, at the time. He ended up being the vice president. It was the campus minister time. Larry Travis, who has become a second father in my life, and has been there for every critical moment. But Larry has a very similar quality of I, I'd never been uh, in the presence of a man who was quite so comfortable talking closely, being expressive of his emotions, uh, making eye contact and seemingly some it made me feel awkward at first. I mean, he seemed to whatever the, the male social bubble was, uh, he seemed to kind of step right past that and want to get to know me. And at first it like, I, I had that very similar feeling uh, where I was like, it scared the ever loving, you know, crap out of me. It scared me. <laughs> and then I, I, I began to be welcomed into this incredible world of beauty and, and a um, friendship and companionship and mentorship. He's been a mentor in my life, but I do think there is some, there's a, there's a gift there. And I think some people just more naturally exude. it. I think Fred had that. And I think, Um, you know, and, and I do think we need to go into more awkward moments and I think we need to, and especially in our culture, I think we've even, we're even more uncomfortable and our, and our radar goes up quicker because we have less human interaction than we've ever had. And we're, we're more and more uncomfortable with that. So I think that's one, but yes, I think the the ministry of presence is one of the most powerful things that any one of us can learn. And I think Fred had it to a T, to a he was, a, seemed to be in the moment, whatever that moment was. I would have to say I hunger for that because I don't always get that right. I would say I fail at that a lot. My mind is elsewhere. I'm thinking about a thousand other things. You even personify that much better than I do. And which is I think why I gravitate towards you, my friend. But um, I, I think Fred got that right. And he, because he was so present, He saw, I think, God, you know, uh, in in, and around him all the time. And I think he exuded what Paul's describing in Acts 17. That wasn't just theory to him. That was real life. And he saw God working in people's lives. He saw God working in, in emotions and conversations because he was really there. And I think that's why, man, like when I look at Fred, it's like, I when I see how present he was and how available he was in every moment and aware he was, I look and say, man, I want to be like that and I want to draw because I think that's a part of the key of finding God in culture is we just have to actually be aware as to, to what's going on around us. And I think we, you know, I use the word sacramental, you know, kind of worldview. I think that's really it. I think, you know, it's learning to uh, kind of discover that, uh, you know, that, that hidden secret key to life of shutting down all the other possibilities and saying, I want to be 100% right here.
1: Well, and it goes to one of your favorite movies, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Um, when we're up on the mountain and our man Sean Penn, I can't remember his name in the film, but he is waiting for that snow leopard to appear. And when the snow leopard appears, he doesn't press the shutter. He says, you know, because I want to stay in the moment. I want to be right there. I want to be right here. And and Fred does exemplify that. And in the movie, one of my favorite moments in the movie is when, uh, a beautiful day in the neighborhood is when uh, he's calling Lloyd. And he says, Lloyd, do you know what the most important thing in the world is to me right now? Hmm. Lloyd's like, mm, no. And he goes, you. <laughs> I'm talking to you, Lloyd Vogel. And it's just that moment in which you realize how important that power of presence really is, and of of being present. You know, even even telephonically. <laughs> you know, well, because that's the deal. Yeah.
0: Well, when you think about it, that really is. I think it is the it is the foundation by which uh, I think presence and awareness is the pre- is really the foundation by which everything else that we are ever going to talk about on this podcast is built off of. Right. You know, I think that's the secret sauce. How in the world can we ever um, find God? How can we notice God if we're not fully present and aware of the moments that we are actually living and and in? And I think even, you know, the conversations Fred seemed to have, and I think Tom Hanks seems to embody even in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, is this sense of like reading between the lines and sensing what isn't even being spoken, because he's so there. And, and again, he's able to ask the great follow-up question. He's able to notice an emotion change because he's fully there. And then obviously all the other things follow, empathy, action, you know, every, you know, all the other things that he needs to do. But it starts with being fully present and aware. And I think if we could get that, if Christians could just get that one thing right. Um, you know, When I'm home, I'm really home. When I'm in my neighborhood, I'm really in my neighborhood. When I'm talking to somebody, my eyes aren't shifting. I'm not looking down at my phone. I'm turning off the notifications. I am 100% there because I need to read between the lines in this person's life and the setting around me because I can guarantee you that in those margins, God is there. And I just need to notice and I need to to shut down all the distractions that are going to keep me from, from the ministry of presence.
1: Yeah, the bush is on fire, and Fred didn't miss many bushes.
0: <laughs> That's so true.
1: Yeah, awake, alert, aware, and present. Mm. And the one thing that you hinted on that I don't know that we've, you know, elongated out for people, I mean, his ability to ask questions and our ability to ask questions and really care about the answers makes all the difference in the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I guess maybe the only other thing I would—I think I've referenced it in a previous episode of the podcast, maybe even the last one. But um, also, Fred's ability to be a kid was a great thing. And uh, the GK Chesterton quote—I come back to that all the time. Of you know, this uh, the kids have an abounding vitality. I think he says, you know, they keep saying, "Do it again, do it again." Uh, and he actually, uh, in the quote, says, "Maybe we've uh, as older." uh, people have grown old and become less spiritual because of it. And God is actually younger than we are. Um, and he gives some really great metaphors in that quote. I think Fred also never stopped. I think because he was always looking through the eyes of a child that he personified childlike, you know, not childish, but childlike faith where he saw wonder and mystery and, uh, you know, just beauty around him the same way a child does, because he was looking through their gaze constantly. And I don't think he grew old. He, he aged, but I don't think he grew old. And I think he constantly was enchanted by the world. And man, we live in such a disillusioned age. I think that's also what kind of strikes us is there is a, almost a hint of, of wonder and mystery and uh, mad, you know, something magical about him that I think we need to rediscover. Uh, because I think there's faith faith is going to be wrapped up in, in rediscovering that.
1: I think so too. And you know, he believed that parenthood was our opportunity to revisit our childhood to begin with. And and you know, I think that's a really cool thing. And and of course, one of the last things he ever did for us in public was um, was the um, PSA uh, after 9-11. And I think it'd be appropriate to go to this and and to just say he looked at people and said, you know, his mother had taught him when something bad happens to look for the helpers, because there's always people who are helping. And in his moment of frustration, in his moment of question, in his moment of doubt, he was able to sit at that piano and to look out into the world and to remind them of what truly mattered and to tell them that we are to be tikkun alam we are to be repairers of creation. And you know what, Fred lived his life to repair creation. Fred lived his life to um, help people realize that um, they can exist in the grace and the love uh, and the mercy of Jesus. And I really believe he was a a bodily representation of Shalom.
0: I agree. Well, I think that moment is often, I think that was one last thing to hit on. Yeah, I think that's often missed when he was saying that. He had said that before, but when he said that after 9-11, he was basically telling the children, look for the helpers. And he was calling the adults who had listened and watched him for so many years to be the helpers. And I think, yeah, yeah that's what you're talking about. Uh, that was a subtle thing that many people missed, but that was what he was advocating for. And I think you're 100% right. Uh, how do we join God in the restoration and the renewal of all things? Um, and so, man, I, I can't think of a better way maybe to wrap up that con- this conversation about Fred than that. That was the way he kind of left things and uh, what he was challenging us. That was his life mission. And that's what we need to be after as well. We're finding God in culture, not just as an aimless pursuit because we want to join him uh, in the work that he's doing in the world. Um, And so I think, uh, yeah, we're always after that. So I would say that maybe wraps up this episode, episode three, hopefully uh, you enjoyed us exploring everything from Bieber to chance to Fred Uh, that we're teaching you how to find God in and around you in the everyday stuff of life. If you like what we're talking about, uh, man, if you would uh, subscribe and give us a review, especially on iTunes that helps other people find us and discover us. Uh, Don't lie, but a five-star review would be even better. And uh, please keep checking us out as we find God in culture.
1: Towers, antenna, transistors, radio waves. 35mm, 780p, 1080p, 4K, and Real D 3D. Analog, Digital, Dolby Surround and Atmos, IMAX and Sony Dynamic. Beats, Sennheiser, Ultimate Ears, Bose, audio Technica Condonast, Viacom, Time Warner, Gannett. Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster, Collins, MacMillan, Motorola, Apple, Samsung, LG, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, Edge, strangers, you, me, friends. God is on the air, in the air, in print, and transmitted.